You guys doing all right? It's pretty warm up in here, huh? Doing okay. Yeah. I bet up there it's like really hot. How is it up there, guys? Yeah? Fans going? Cool. Well, uh, I'm really excited to share with you out of the Word today. Uh, I'm trusting that God's going to do great things. And um, let's start by uh, just inviting the Lord to come and speak to us during this time. So just bow your heads with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of your word. And thank you, God, that your delight is to take the words of your scripture, bring them to life, and apply them to our lives, God, to bring more glory and honor to your name and to bring joy and life into our lives. And so we just ask by the power of your spirit that you would do miraculous and great things during this time. And we thank you and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's jump in. Uh, Matthew chapter 8. We're going to continue through the book of Matthew. Um, if you are a first-timer, we've been going through the book of Matthew since the beginning of the year. We now find ourselves at Matthew chapter 8, and uh, we're in a good part of the book. I don't know that there's a bad part of the book, but uh, we're in a good part of the book. We're at verse 18, so I'm going to read the verse. I'm going to give some context, and then we'll, uh, we'll unpack it together. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me. And let the bed, dead bury their own dead. So this isn't a part of the book where we've just seen Jesus perform a myriad of miracles. In fact, there's so many that they stopped recording them. They just said that they were hanging out at Peter's mom's house, one of the disciples. They were hanging out at Peter's mom's house and actually it was his stepmother's house. And they just brought all the sick and he healed all of them. It's like they, recount, they account a few, and then they're like, you know what, like, everybody in the town who was sick came and had a party that night, and all of them went home well. Everybody who was demonized, oppressed by demonic spirits, they came and they got released from demonic repression that night. And so there's, there's a few accounts that we'll go over, uh, but there was this, like, breakout of healing and deliverance uh, that, that Jesus was leading and he sees this huge crowd gathering around him, as you can imagine at this point. And so at that point, he gives orders for his disciples to cross over to the other side of the lake. They're going to go and get into a boat, and they're going to go out onto the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to they're cross over. The thing that is important about the context of this passage is that first we see Jesus uh, displaying authority over sickness. So there's a man with leprosy, and then they talk about a group, a big group of people that were sick that got healed. So first Jesus shows his authority over sickness. Then he shows his authority over demonic spirits. The, the, the supernatural, the things that are not of this world, but that exist in the spiritual realm that can oppress human lives, Jesus shows authority over those things. And then after this, it's the story of where they go out on the lake, there's a massive storm, Jesus is sleeping in the boat, 
and he stands up on the bow after the disciples wake him up. He rebukes the storm, and the entire storm, the lake, just becomes completely quiet, and he shows his authority over all of nature as well. But what's lodged right in the middle of that is this passage about the cost of following Jesus. And what's really interesting, if you break it down, is Jesus speaks a word, someone gets healed. Jesus speaks a word, someone gets delivered. Jesus speaks a word, a storm is stilled. Jesus speaks a word, do they follow or do they not follow? Sickness, demonic spirits, nature, they all, with a word, come right into alignment with what Jesus says. Be still, it's still. Get out of him, spirit comes out. Be healed, they're totally cleansed. But he says, follow me to two people. And the crazy part about the passage is we're actually left with kind of a cliffhanger. We don't know whether the same thing that happens with sickness, nature, and the spiritual realm happens with these human lives where he says, follow me. And does his command, does his authority that he's displaying over these lives actually lead to his word coming to being? What's crazy about this is that the author didn't need to do this. In other places in the Bible, they say, he said to him, follow me, and the guy couldn't give up his money, and so he, and so he left, and he didn't follow him. In other places, he says, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And he goes, yes, absolutely, Lord, and he follows him. In this one, there's no, there's no sign of, of the outcome. And so it makes you go, Why? Like, why would the author not give us a sign of the outcome when he says to this person, he says, he says basically, like, I'll follow you. And he says, I'm homeless. Are you sure you want to follow me? That's basically what he's saying. And then he says to one of his disciples, he says, yeah, I know you want to go bury your father. Like, let the dead bury themselves. You follow me. So we'll unpack, like, what he's saying there. But in both cases, we're left with this cliffhanger of, like, does the word actually come to be? And the crazy thing that we see right out of the gates with this is that there's authority and there's power with Jesus. There's authority and there's, and there's power with Jesus. So the difference between a power and authority is something that we need to unpack here because he's claiming authority over everything. But he's claiming power over everything except for one thing. And that's the difference here. So what's the difference between power and authority? The difference between power and authority is best described by a police officer. So if you wanted to become a cop, you'd probably go and you'd go through some kind of training where you learned how to be kind of bad, like, like kind of good, but like kind of bad. You know, like you'd go and you'd learn how to exert power, how to do it in the right way. Hopefully, in most cases, uh, you know, the, the training would train you as to like how you like use the rules of the law and abide by the law, and then exert power where needed to make sure that the law happens. And at the end of that training, through that training, you have zero authority. You're learning power as you go through it. You're learning how to fight, you're learning how to subdue someone, etc., etc. At the end of the training, this very special thing happens. Somebody with authority comes to you and grants you authority. There's a police commissioner or maybe some, you know, politician or whatever, but they come and they say, you now have authority, and they put a badge on your chest. And that's a very important moment where it's saying, like, you now represent somebody more powerful than you. You now represent the state. You've just been given authority. And you've also gained power through this training. 
So you go out with your authority and you say, hey, you're under arrest. And if they run the other way, then you exert your power and you put them under your authority. And so that's exactly what we see Jesus here doing. He comes to sickness and he goes, hey, I have authority over you and I have power over you. Be well, that is my will. And he does it except for with the human life. With the human life, he declares authority over that human life. He says, follow me. And it's a command, follow me. Forget this other stuff, follow me. But then he gives the power to the human life to either respond or to not respond. And the thing that I think is interesting about this passage is that I think it leaves it kind of a cliffhanger of what happens in both of these situations because I actually don't think it's the point. In this particular passage, I don't think it's the point how they respond. I think the, pow- the, 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 the point of this particular passage is that Jesus has no problem declaring full authority over those human lives. You've got to understand that this is like dramatically different than what any of the teachers of Israel would be doing at this time. To claim authority to this measure is basically declaring himself to be God. He's basically saying like, so let's take one of these. He's taking the, the burying of a loved one, in this case a father. In the Jewish culture, family, like honoring your family, honoring your father and your mother was one of the most like pinnacle commands that there was. And within that pinnacle command, the bare basics of that was probably burying the person, right? Like, even now, if you, have an, if, if, like, you interact with somebody who has an estranged relationship with their father or something like that, and then their father dies, like, oftentimes there's this thing of, like, okay, but I've still got to do right by them. I've still got to bury them. So, like, even though we didn't have a great situation going on here, like, I got to go do what's right, and they go and, like, you know, deal with that. This is a crazy thing where Jesus says to one of his disciples, he's like, don't, basically don't waste your time with that. I mean, think about what he's saying there. Let the dead bury them, the, the, the dead. Like that's like, this, this isn't a task for the living. And you're, you're among the living. Follow me. Jesus is like, I'm here this thing that you want to be involved in, that's like down here. Like don't, like, don't even give your consideration to that. Like, follow me. This is an insane amount of authority that he's claiming to have in this situation. And I think that we need to like start the passage by recognizing when he says, follow me, especially in these situations with these, kind of, with these kinds of like contextual things about what's going on around him, it's a massive statement of his authority over everything that there is. So we see first that he speaks a word to the sickness, and it jumps into line, the demonic spirits, nature, and then what happens with people, it's left as this, this like cliffhanger. But the implications of this story, the implications of his authority, the way this story is set up in that way, the author's saying is, follow me must remain the first priority in the disciple's life. That's what he's saying. This is, this is a passage about priority. And follow me is this like, this amazingly power-packed statement where if we got a glimpse of the me of follow me, we would 
drop everything and we'd follow Jesus. But the thing is, is that these guys aren't necessarily getting that glimpse just yet. They've seen him do some cool things, which is why he can say, follow me, and they will follow him, even though there's a high cost to it. But at the same time, the me behind this, the follow me, is this statement from Jesus where he's claiming authority over lives, and he's so comfortable with it. That's what I find to be crazy about this passage. Like, think about if I was, like, walking around, and I was like, hey, Serena, follow me. Like, where are we going? Like, it doesn't matter. Don't even, actually, you, you even asking that question is showing a lack of faith. Like, follow me. You know, and like, I, I did this to all these people. Like, think about what I'm saying about myself. Like, the hubris, right? Like, how pompous would I have to be? Either delusional or like, pomp- like something's going on there, right? But Jesus knows that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He knows that one day all of heaven and earth are going to bow before him. And there's going to be so much honor and glory on this one individual that even the glory that he's given to us, we're going to take off our crowns and we're going to throw them before his feet. He knows who he is. He knows how the thing ends. He knows where he came from. He knows that the Father sent him and is delighted with him. He knows that he's been given authority on all heaven and earth. And he knows that one day every knee will bow before him. And so when he's standing in front of people, it's the most logical thing in the world for him to say, follow me. And you must, you kind of get a glimpse when Jesus, like, when somebody gives any kind of, you know, like, oh, but can I do this? And he's like, what are you, crazy? Like, do you, do you know what's going on here? And, and it's clearly like, they're like, I don't think I do because your response is different than what seems totally logical for me in this situation. It feels like actually me saying, can I go bury my father should be honoring to God, right? Like, this is a good thing me saying that I want to go honor my parents, right? Like, that's one of the commandments, right? And he's like, new game in town. Like, I'm here. Like, this this changes the whole board about what's important and what's not important. And so his claim for authority is massive. It's massive. In fact, we see the centurion... Right before this, there's this guy who's a ruler over 80 people, and Jesus is so impressed with this guy because he gets it. And the reason why he gets it is because he's in an army where there's a general above him where you never question orders. Like he's in a, he's in a vocation that lends him well to understanding authority. And he goes to Jesus and he goes, hey, I know how much authority you have. You have so much authority that if you just speak a word, my servant that's miles away will instantly be healed. You don't need to walk anywhere. Like, you're him. And Jesus is like, whoa, this guy gets it. This guy gets who I am. This is amazing. But straight out of the gates, Jesus has this demand of like, it's follow me, but it's like, follow me. If you think about, I don't know about you guys, but um, the idea of following someone amazing has always kind of got me, like, in a good way. Do you guys have that where you have, like, certain heroes, whether it's in, in the faith or whether it's in business or something like that, where you're like, man, if I could follow that person, that would be awesome. Like, I would take a huge pay cut to sit under that leader for years And I would just, I don't even care. I'd just sit at their feet and just be like, okay, like teach me. You know, like you're you're amazing at what you do. Do you guys have that? Yeah. 
like, there's certain people in the Christian faith right now where if they said, hey, you can come and, like, hang out with me, I don't even need you to do anything. Like, just come hang out with me and follow me around. Do it for two years. I'm not going to pay you anything. You'll have to get a side job. But, but, like, I'll let you be with me wherever I go. I'd be like, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll quit my job tomorrow. Like, if the Lord will let me, like, leave this church, I'll do it. <laughs> Just kidding. But there's like, there's something in me that's always like longed for that thing where, oh, follow me. If it's the right me, sign me up a hundredfold, right? If it's the wrong me, it's like, oh. Like, that's why I talk to so many of you about like the, the hard part about sitting under a bad boss, right? Like, there's a whole adage about like people don't leave jobs, they leave bosses, they leave managers. And it's totally true. It's like when you're sitting under a bad boss, it's just brutal, right? But there's something in it. There's something you learn about authority when you have to sit under any kind of leader, including a terrible leader. And I think sometimes we learn how to follow him by sitting under a leader that's highly imperfect. And I think the centurion is a perfect example of this. You can bet your bottom dollar that whoever he was sitting under was not like this righteous, godly man that was like totally treating him perfectly and honored him and gave him promotions and pay raises at every, every turn and all of this stuff. It was like, this guy understood authority because he sat under authority, but he sat under imperfect authority. And I think so many times the Lord is using what's going on in any sphere of your life where you're having to sit under bad authority to understand authority, to understand what it looks like to submit to a vision that you don't care about, to understand, you know, like, what does it look like that actually my priorities aren't the number one thing in this relationship? Sitting under a great boss is a great boss because they align with everything that you'd do, most likely. And in cases where it's not such a great boss, you're like, man, I wouldn't do that at all. And now what my call is, is to rally around that? Like, that's a terrible idea. But because I'm under authority, what I'm called to do is I'm called to get behind that idea as if it was the best idea on earth and as if it was, it was mine. That's what it looks like to sit under authority. The centurion got it. So he got it when Jesus said, follow him. It wasn't like, oh, well, maybe the father thing first. No, 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 follow me. Well, I think I'll do this, and then hopefully you're cool with it, you know. It, it was like, no, 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 no. You're under authority, and this is ultimate authority. And so let's get into the lives of these two, two people here that are, that are profiled. So the first one is a scribe. And a scribe was somebody who was an expert in the Jewish law, like expert. And so for him to come to Jesus, who's kind of like a, not like a hugely trained in the same way that this guy was, rabbi, who's out kind of homeless, like Jesus talks about here, and he's got like 12 ragtag disciples, right? Like they used to be fishermen. They, used to, they weren't like the A students that everybody else got, got disciples with. Like this is how it went, right? Like who followed you around was kind of like your trophy. You know, it was kind of like, look at, look at how good of a rabbi I am. Like look at these guys. He's got like some fishermen behind him that are uneducated, right? And this scribe comes to him who's this like prestigious teacher and says like, 
I'll follow you wherever you go. You've got to see this from like the picture in the Bible where this is a massive statement for this guy. There's all the reason in the world why this guy should not be declaring that kind of honor to Jesus. But he sees something in Jesus. He gets it. He sees something and he goes, he goes, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, basically, I'm homeless. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Immediately straight out of the gates, Jesus isn't trying to throw punches here. I think it's because like, because Jesus knows who he is, because he knows the glory and the honor that is due his name, he's not like a desperate salesperson that needs you to convince you to buy the car by telling you all the good features and hiding all the other stuff. Right? Like, this is the opposite of what Jesus does. He could have been like, so this is pretty cool. Like, if you follow me, you're going to get to see miracles. In fact, tomorrow I'm going to calm a storm. It's going to be pretty awesome. <laughs> I'll multiply some bread, so that'll, that'll be pretty cool. And then you'll get to lead the church after I die and go away. Like, abundant life comes in me. So actually, as you lay down your life, you get this abundant life. He doesn't say any of that stuff. He says, I'm homeless. Are you sure you want to follow me? And for this scribe, he's like, you know, he's a big deal. And so Jesus immediately calls for this, like, high level of discipleship for this guy. He's like, you've seen the kind of authority I have. This is the call that I have. And I think in its most simplest terms, what this is a challenge to is when you're a disciple of Jesus, the call is that follow me is above every other thing in your life. Everything. Everything. If anything competes with follow me, it's out of order. It's in wrong priority. And in this case, we see securities of homelessness for Jesus. He's inviting him to follow him and to be homeless. Like, he's not selling this life of security that's based on riches and a home. He's selling this life of security based on the me in follow me. He's saying, you will have a life of security, but it's 100% based on me in the follow me, not anything that I'll provide out of that follow me. And this is a huge deal. The promise of the Christian life at the basic core is that you have tremendous security in your life. But that tremendous security is not based upon any of the things that the world puts security in. And that's one of the most crazy things about the Christian life. At the bare bones basics, it's like, it's, it's, it's follow me, but it doesn't mean follow me because you'll have this, this, and this, and because you have this, this, and this, you'll feel all secure. It's follow me, and your security is then immediately traded in from all of that stuff into a person. And I see so many times in our lives where we want to do the follow me thing, we want to be the disciple, but it's like, but I still need to honor my parents in the way that I've, I've grown up learning to honor my parents. And that means after I graduate, I go and get an MBA, or I go and get my doctor's degree, or I go and get a JD, and then I follow them in that way, and that's what it looks like. And just like, maybe, but maybe not. There are no guarantees. It's not like when he says, follow me, it's like, yeah, you can keep all that other stuff, and then like where I fit in, you can follow in those areas. It's like, no, no, no. Everything is on the board. Everything is on the board. Anything that competes with the follow me is subject to being pushed down in your life. 
And the security, the identity, the joy, the satisfaction, all of the stuff in life that we all crave in the deepest parts of our being, it's not like God says those things aren't important. You don't get any of those things in Christianity. When you say, follow me, you have to flush down all your earthly desires to be happy and to be satisfied. It's not any of that stuff. It's simply that you trade your faith in all of the things that most people look to to satisfy those things for a person. And so, so many times in the history of Christianity, there's, there's been the wrong application that it's like, actually, you know, like God doesn't care about that stuff. Like you just need to bury your desires and you need to bury your craving for security and you need to bury your craving, craving for joy or a healed life or happiness. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's, you don't bury those things. You put your trust for those things in a person. That's the difference. It's not in all this stuff. It's now in a person. And so straight out of the gates, Jesus confronts this scribe and he doesn't throw any punches. He wants him to know exactly what he's signing up for. And he tells him the straight scoop. He tells him the real deal. Suki and I, both around the time when we were graduating from college, had um, pretty like life-changing encounters with God. Uh, mine was at a conference and then my early years in InterVarsity. And Suki's was at YWAM uh, and, and before that as well. And the interesting part was, uh, a lot of you guys know this who have heard my story before. I grew up in a house where my dad was a financial advisor. I, was, uh, I, loved, I loved my dad. He was like my hero growing up. And so like whatever he was, I wanted to be growing up. It was totally like that. It was like, you know, the little kid on the, the playground, like, my daddy's the best. He'll beat yours up. My daddy could like, actually beat people up. And I was like, yeah, you know, like actually felt good about it. And like, I really admired him in almost every area of life. And so all through life, the plan was, like, we'd kind of joke about it in dinner, and it wasn't like a serious thing, like my parents were lording it over me, saying, like, you're going to follow your dad's footsteps or else, or, you know, we won't be proud of you. It was just like, no, that's, that seems like the totally logical thing to do. Like, you're kind of like him, which I always loved to hear. And, and, uh, and he does this and earns a good wage doing it and all that stuff. And so you should go do that. And so I got an economics degree at Cal, and was coming out of school, and right about the time that I was coming out of school, I had this awesome encounter with the Lord. And I got to live in the fruits of the Spirit for this period of time where it was just like the most beautiful two weeks of my life of worship and understanding the Word and like the depth of intimacy that I, I got in this like short period of time was, I came out of it being like, Jesus, I could care less, of, couldn't care less about any of this stuff that I was pursuing before. And it was a natural response of having this encounter with God. The first thing that he asked me to do was go on staff with InterVarsity, where I had to fundraise my own salary. I ended up making $22,000 a year and lay down this thing, which was like following my dad into his line of business, which would have been basically making half a million dollars a year in the matter of, I don't know, like three to five years. And... This like fork in the road that the Lord gave me right after I, I really knew who the me and follow me was, was so evident. And he was, he was basically like, do, do you want to do this thing, which is inner varsity? Like, do you want to do this thing, meaning me? Or, or do you want to kind of like go the way that will honor your parents, go down the line that your father's gone? It's like the course of your life, this whole way. And at the time, the impact that I had had from that, from that time with the Lord was so strong 
that there wasn't a whole like tearing going on inside of me. It was like a, this is a no-brainer. This is an absolute no-brainer. I'm going to go on staff with InterVarsity and I'm going to make $22,000 a year. I'm going to go love college students for a while. And I went and told my dad and I didn't expect this out of him because he was a strong Christian at the time, but he was like, he was pretty mad. He was pretty mad about it. And he basically said like, okay, like I'll honor your decision, but understand that you're laying this down for real. Like, don't think that in two years you can just come back and the plan goes and we'll just start off where you went. And I think honestly the Lord did it that way because it was very uncharacteristic to my dad. I think my, the Lord did it that way because I needed to really lay it down. I needed to really lay it down. It couldn't have been one of those things where, oh, I got my contingency plan back here. I had to like burn that bridge and, and go and do this thing. The interesting part was Suki had a similar experience coming out of college. She had this profound experience with God coming out of college, and she came out and she said, I'm going to give you two years of my life because she was around 20 years old. I'm going to tithe my time and give you two years to do whatever you want. Little did he know he was taking the whole thing with your two years, but she thought she was giving two years, and he was like, thank you, I'll take the whole life. But she ended up doing something that was like absolutely insane for her Chinese mother, right? Like... Her mother had put her through to school, told her not to work while going through school so that she could like just focus on studies. And then Suki comes out and says, awesome, I'm going to go to the mission field. It's not even like little wages, like my 22 grand a year. This was, I'm going to ask people for money to be able to send me overseas. But like in both cases, God called us to this thing, like kind of straight out of the gates. It was kind of like the thing where it was like, hey, I understand your desire to walk with me. Let's walk together. You know, like I think sometimes we can listen to stories like that and be like, man, God, that feels so cruel. Like why, why would you do that like straight out of the gates? But it, it's not that, like there's not a cruelness in this at all. It's like Jesus knows who he is and he knows where life is and he knows what he has to offer and he knows the sooner that you can lay that stuff down, the sooner you can gain security in life and abundance in who he is. And, and like, let's do it. You get the sense that that's like what God's doing here. It's like, okay, let's not throw any punches. Let's not make this like the Israelites with 40 years through the wilderness. Let's take the short route. Let's do this thing. Like, follow me. Like, get rid of that stuff. Like, let's go. And they're left with this beautiful choice where it's like a shortcut right into this true discipleship and this true, beautiful life with Jesus. And I think sometimes we take the slow route of surrender when we could take the fast one. We take the gentle route of surrender where it's like, man, I know what you call for, but I think my level of trust is here, so I'll surrender here in relation to my level of trust. And I know you'll show up here, and then when you show up here, then it'll be here, and then I'll give bigger next time, and then the next time I'll give bigger. And there's a reality to that, right? Like, you need to understand the person that you're surrendering your life to. But the thing that Suki and I have noticed as we've gone through life is it never ends. Like, that's how both of our lives with the Lord kind of like started towards the beginning, but the things that he asks us to lay down today, and I'm sure in the future, they just get bigger and bigger. Yeah. 
I keep thinking, like, at some point, he'll stop asking me to lay down stuff. You know, like, okay, I've got it. Like, I got the work thing. I laid that down, right? I did that at the very beginning. And I got the, the church thing. Like, we went through a really hard time, and Suki and I had to give up the ark, even though we, like, poured our lives into it and trust it to somebody else for a while. Like, got it, got it, surrendered the church. Surrendered the marriage, right? Like, Suki and I, at the very beginning of our marriage, like, the Lord told me to push back our marriage date indefinitely. It, like, I knew it was going to rip her in half. It did. But I did it anyway, right? Surrendered. Okay, I did that. Like, how much more stuff do I need to surrender before this surrender thing is done? And the answer is it never ends. Like, that's the good news of following Jesus is it doesn't end. It's not bad news that he says, follow me and reject that other stuff. You just haven't seen what the me is yet. Otherwise, it would be all good news. He sees it. And so he has no problem asking us to surrender. And the, li- it, the surrender life, it never ends. It's just bigger and bigger levels of trust as he calls us into more and more. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you from experience, there is so much joy in the big surrender. It's usually oftentimes on the other side, right? Like I can't tell you that I'm like so holy and anointed that there's not the grinding that goes on. But like every time I surrender something bigger, he just proves more and more trustworthy. And it's, I feel like what surrender is, is it's like this invitation of Jesus into an area of life for him to take over something. And then he goes in and he takes over it and he does such a better job than you could ever do in that area of life. And he's like, oh, I'm so glad you turned that big thing over to me because now it's mine and now I can make it beautiful. And if we go like, well, you can have 10%. Then he goes, awesome. You did great. Thanks for the 10%. And he makes the 10% great. But what could be done in a single chunk then is Israelites 40 years in the wilderness. And I think that the thing that we need to get here is that you trying to do the surrendered life without the power of the Holy Spirit is ridiculous. You will fight and you will claw and it will be horrible and your Christian life will be miserable. The surrendered life, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, is really tough because you're just striving in your own power the whole time. And so I remember early in my Christian life where the Lord would ask me for something or tell me to lay something down and I'd have this huge panic moment on the inside of me where I couldn't say yes because I knew my own frailty. Do any of you guys live in that where the Lord's like, okay, lay this thing down and you're like, I can't say yes because I know how weak I am. At some point in following the Lord, I went to an immediate yes because the power of God in me to accomplish his will was more powerful than the weakness inside of me. So all of a sudden, not based on, this isn't hubris, this isn't me saying like, oh, I got so strong in my internal discipline that all of a sudden I could surrender anything to the, it's not that at all. I'm weaker, I'm as weak inside as I probably ever was. But the difference is now the moment from surrender this thing to, Lord, I need you in this. I know that if it's my, if my, if it's my own flesh, I know I'm done from the very start. So yes, Lord, I will. And then immediately I go into, Holy Spirit, I'm done if this isn't you. This last, I've been living this this last week. Uh, 
Speaking of this surrender never ending. Um, that'd be an awesome shirt. Never ending surrender. I want to do that. I'll be the only one who wears it. You guys can just be like, nice shirt. Um, so this last week, I had, uh, actually three weeks ago, a month, two months ago, I had this inter- interesting interaction with my boss. I won't go into depths of like what it actually was. It was enough that it festered stuff inside me for the first time in about, actually the second time, we'll say in eight years of working at LinkedIn, that I actually picked my head up and I like re- shot a note over to somebody in my network at a company called Slack. And I said, hey, if you guys have any positions open at Slack that would fit my background, would be super interested in talking anyway. And I thought it was for this one position that they had posted. They got back to me and they said, basically like, uh, we'd love to talk to you about a position, but it's not the one that you think from the website. It's actually this one over here. And it was the ideal position. I'm telling you like, to the T on paper, the single position that I would want most in this world was this, was this position. Besides following my hero around, right? For no money. But it was like, it wasn't even posted yet. It was like, you know, it was like a pocket listing in real estate. This was like a pocket posting. They hadn't put it up on the, on the net yet. They hadn't posted it. And they des- described the position. I was like, oh, yeah. And you know what I was thinking, right? It's like, thank you, Lord. Right? You brought this glorious position where one door closes, another one opens, and here we go, right? It was like perfect in every way. And uh, I got off the phone. I was like super happy. I'm pacing around and all this stuff. And over the next couple days, I just got this. You guys know where this is going. I just started to get this feeling like this doesn't feel exactly right. I don't know what's going on here, but it doesn't feel exactly right. And so I got to the place, this is totally like a picture into my inner life with the Lord, but I got to that place where I was like, okay, Lord, I think this is you, but this is big enough that I'd really love you to confirm it in a couple other ways. Like, because I feel like the word is this big and the call that you're giving me is this big. And so I need a word that kind of like is closer in magnitude to the thing that you're asking me to lay down, right? Like, (laughs) anyone relating to this? Yeah, yeah. I feel like, as, a, as an aside, I feel like what spirituality when I was a young Christian used to be is you get a word this big and you're like not even sure it's God and you like move your family to Africa. You know what I mean? It's like, don't question that word. That's lack of faith. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm just not an expert at hearing the Lord yet. So I need some confirmation if the word's really big. That is like totally fine. Look up Gideon. Uh, he has a great story about it. But basically... I personally, this is my personal opinion, think it's foolish to make some massive life decision off of a whisper that you get in your quiet time. That's, that's my opinion. As you, become, as you become great and mighty in the Lord and you know in a minute that it's him, do it all day long. Then it, that's all it takes, right? But I've seen so many people do stupid things off of what they think is the Lord and it's really just themselves and they move themselves halfway across the world, it, it falls apart and they're, you know... So confirmations are, confirmations are a glorious thing when it's done in faith. So I'm like, Lord, I think this is you. I think this is you. Would you just humor me by helping me through this one? Like, give me the strength inside. Let me understand it. 
And what I don't do anymore is I don't sit there and like flip open my Bible and go, okay. Or I don't stop and listen and go, okay. You're not speaking. Why aren't you speaking? Speak. I used to do that. But now what I do is I trust that as I go on my way that he'll speak to me. He'll speak to me through my community. He'll speak to me through my worship times. He'll speak to me as I go on my way. He'll speak to me through the TV. He'll speak to me through my songs. I've gotten so many words off of like television episodes that I've been watching. And, and it's like, that was for me. Like, I just, I felt life on that one. So what I do is I go, Lord, I, I trust you to speak to me. Please like confirm this in a, in a heavier way. And I'll tell you, man, in the next week, he was just so faithful to put friends in my life that, that just said, hey, like, I don't have peace on that either. A wife in my life who said, I don't have peace on that either. And it was just like exactly what I needed. And then it was like, awesome. Like, if this isn't the best thing, then I lay it down. But it's not, it's not this exercise in self-discipline for number one. And it's also, this feels like something I've already laid down 15 times. But for some reason, this surrendered life is just something that keeps on going and keeps on going. And I got a good dose of it last week. And... The joy that came on the other side of laying the thing down was like so wonderful, right? Like the joy of being able to go to the floor of the Lord and you're not like, you don't go before the Lord with your own righteousness. Like, look at what I did. Isn't that awesome? Actually, I did that at first and I totally felt like it was the guy in the second part of the story where he's like, I've got to go bury my father. And Jesus says, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. It's like, Wow, Jesus doesn't put a lot of value on that activity, it doesn't seem like, right? That's totally what it felt like as I was in the aftermath of this thing. I laid the thing down, and I'm like, Lord, here it is. And I felt like he's like, that doesn't even like matter that much. <laughs> he's like, it matters to you, so like, you know, bless you. But it didn't, feel, it, it didn't feel like this thing where he was like, you just laid down the most important thing, like your priorities were, you know, like in perfect alignment. It was like, yeah, that was good. Like, let's go, like, follow me, you know? And I was like, no, it was really big. You know, like it felt really big. But he's so faithful. He's so faithful in this life of surrender. He doesn't want you to live a life of surrender where you're just like ripped in part your whole life and, oh, I'm doing it again and it's awful. It's like, no, he, he's trying to correct your way of thinking so that you don't build a house on sand that gets crashed in the first storm that comes along. That's what bad priorities do. This is all a passage about prioritization. It's follow me first is screaming and booming from this passage. And the reason for that is, is because whenever you pull something out of order in your prioritization, it starts to be poisonous to your life. And so he wants to get the ultimate prioritization out of the way, straight out of the gate, so that you don't build in an area that then comes crashing down because there's no life and joy on it. Let me give you an example of this. Have you ever seen in the work world where somebody sacrifices their family for work? We don't even need to do spiritual stuff here like, oh, this is church on Sunday is better than the football game. You know, it's not, we, it's like people all the time for their identity and for money and for other reasons sacrifice family life for attaining in the work world. What is that? All of a sudden, something that could be good if it was in right priority becomes poison to your life. And anything that's below that that should be above it starts to get poisoned. Anytime you raise something up, it starts to poison anything underneath that. 
So if you raise up, let's just say vocation or relationships or whatever it is, to be above God, it starts to poison the entire well. And it's like more, the more you have right at the top, the more life trickles down. But as soon as you pull one of those out of order, then it starts to poison the well. And so Jesus is like, hey, just straight out of the gates, let's get this right. As we build this thing, as you follow me around, like understand what we're building here and get this thing right. Let's take the shortcut. Let's do life together. Put your security in me. Trust me, it's worth it. You'll see it tomorrow when we're on the lake. Right? Like, I think both of these guys made it. I'm an optimistic person. I'm preaching, so both of these guys made it. <laughs> so the next day, the next day they get in the boat with Jesus. And they're out and they're like, what the heck did I do? There's a storm. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. They think they're going to die. They're panicking. They're like, this was the worst decision. I should have buried my father. Like, what am I, what, what am I thinking being in this boat right now? And then they wake up Jesus, he rebukes the storm. Like, picture this, gnarly storm where you think you're going to die and you're in these tiny fisherman boats, right? Like there's big waves coming over the side, the wind is howling. Like, what did it look like for Jesus to rebuke that storm? I get the, again, I'm preaching, so I'm, I'm telling the story. I think he like got up, it, maybe there was a mast or something, but he got up on it and he's like, be still, right? Like yelling into the wind. Have you ever yelled into the wind of a storm? I have. You feel like an idiot. Because your power is so, like, minuscule compared to what's going on here, right? Like, it's this huge gusting wind. You're like, Jesus. It's like the wind's just taking the words. You're like, wow, that was really pitiful. I couldn't even barely hear anything. In this case, it calms the whole sea. Like, all of the waves come down to be stilled and the the breath in the air is completely still, like it's glassy on the, on the lake in a minute after Jesus does this. And you're like, oh my gosh, I just made the best decision of my life. <laughs> right? There's no way you're looking back and being like, oh wow, I'd rather be at that funeral right now. <laughs> and they even ask the question right after he does it. They're like, who is this dude that even the wind and the waves respond to his name, right? Immediately after the surrender, they get this beautiful revelation of like, who is this guy that I'm following? The me in follow me becomes so much more real as he stands up and yells into the wind and the whole thing becomes still. And there's no chance that they look back and be like, man, I wish I, I kept my security in my fishing business or I wish I had prioritized this other thing. It's like, what, el what else is life about? And they get it. And both of them make it. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Cool. Suki's going to come up and then I'll, I'll wrap us up. I missed y'all. I've been gone for two weeks, so. Um, hello, everyone. As I was sitting here, um, so, for those of you guys who don't know, but most of you guys do, we see life very differently. And Us? No. Oh. No way. Um, but yeah. <laughs> no, but we really, like, really do. Like, this whole surrender thing did not come naturally, did not come easily for me. Like, Ryan was sitting here talking about policemen and authority and how he had a hero, and I'm like...
That's not how this whole thing rolled out for me. You know, like, yes, I did surrender a lot to follow Jesus. But honestly, for me, it was not naturally easy. Because it depends on how your relationship is with authority. And if you don't have great relationship with authority, to if the only the few authority that you had that was over you did not use it well, and then you become a Christian, and then Jesus is like, hey, I want, want something from you. You're like, heck no. <laughs> heck no. Why? Why should I follow you? What did you do? And honestly, the first maybe four or five years of my life was that wrestling. And so I just want to say, like, that that is very real. And for some of us, for me, I didn't grow up with the hero. And there was nobody I wanted to be like because everyone that was older than me or around me did not exemplify anything that I wanted to look like. And so when I found Jesus, it was amazing, but it almost felt too good to be true. But I felt like there was still an invitation. There's still a real deep cry in my heart that somebody out there must be good. There must be good out there somewhere. And one of the things that the Lord revealed to me over the course of asking me to surrender, he, he was like, one of the things that he spoke was, I'm not asking you for anything that I haven't done myself. And I don't know if that's going to set anybody here free, but I think for me, that was really big. Because he wasn't using or calling us to give up something in order to lord it over me. He wasn't using, um, yeah, he wasn't asking me to surrender in order to do something to benefit him. But rather, everything that he was asking me really was something that he had lived out himself and showed me that it would be worthwhile. Like, when he was saying, hey, follow me, he's like, I... I have done the thing where I don't know what's going to happen. You know, like the moment before he went to the cross, there was a moment when connection with God was cut off, and he didn't know what was going to come next. He's like, I understand what it's like. I know that when I'm asking you to trust me and you don't know what's on the other side, I know what that's like. And anything that you're feeling right now, I've actually been there too. And one of the things that I've learned over the last few years um, in kind of going through my own healing is part of healing isn't just, is like relearning a new way. Like there's different kinds of trauma, and when there's been acute trauma in your life, one of the ways that you heal from that is actually someone recognizes it, acknowledges it, and says, I hear it, I see it, and I'm going to be with you in it and just is with you. And as you're with them in that, there's healing. And I felt like the Lord spent a lot of time before really asking me for the big, big stuff. And so, um, and the way and how that fits in with what Ryan was saying is like, for me, when it first started, what he asked felt like it was everything. 
And so when you're in that first beginning stage of trusting God, it's still, even if maybe to you it feels small, even if maybe like later on, 10, 15 years later, it feels like it might have been a small thing, at the time, it's 100%. You know, like, like with, uh, with the, the guy who wants to bury, the, bury his parent, you know, for him, it was 100%. There's certain things that at the time I felt like, man, giving up my major, for instance, it felt like everything. But you did, I did that. And then at that time, it felt like it was everything. And then all of a sudden, God says, oh, it shows me, man, giving up that thing was really worthwhile. And then you're like, okay, I did it once. It, it panned out pretty well. And so then you do it again, and then, it, and then your faith for, like, being able to do so increases. And so I think Jesus is saying he wants everything, but at the same time, what is everything to us at different stages in our life may look different for different ones of us. Great. So let's have the worship team come on up. And we're going to do... Uh, so we're going to open up for some prayer for anybody who would like some prayer. Uh, so we'll, we'll worship and pray together. The thing that, the invitation that I wanted to, to give you guys is, as I was prepping for this passage, the thing, the thing that struck me the most about this passage was this power and authority thing. This crazy thing that happens in this passage where Jesus exerts power and authority over everything in creation except for the two humans that are in front of him. In that one, he declares his authority and he leaves the power with the people. I find that to be crazy. I find that to be unbelievable. I find that to be very like God, but still astounds me. You know, he doesn't ask the, he doesn't ask the storm and empower the storm's will to choose. He doesn't say like, hey storm, like, you know, if it was up to me, you'd still out and we'd be good and I have authority over you, but you can do whatever you want. It's like, no, that thing is coming into alignment with my word. And it repeatedly in Matthew 8, it always talks about Jesus' word going forth. Literally, just like creation, where he spoke forth the worlds in existence and boom, galaxies explode into being. He speaks to leprosy with a word, it's done. He speaks to a servant in a word, it's done. Like, he's, he's claiming a huge level of authority and power over these things. But to the human life, he claims the same level of authority, but not the same power. He empowers us with the surrender. And so I want to just give an invitation as we go into worship. If there's anything in that dynamic of surrender for you, maybe it's surrendering to Jesus for the very first time. Like you're coming for the first time to gain security with the living God found in who God is, not in the stuff, the empty stuff in the world that you know is hollow. But for the first time, you want to go, man, I want to place my security in God because that's the life secure. Then we'll open up space for that. For other people, it's like, man, I've surrendered a million times, but I realize that this is now a life of surrender that's in perpetuity. This thing don't end. And maybe that's a revelation to you, and maybe it's a re-choosing in to a deeper level of that life with Christ. Where it's like, I want to change my relationship with surrender. I now want to be dependent upon the power of your Holy Spirit. And I want to choose in quickly to the yes of the Lord. And then trust you to walk me through that process. If that's you, like, come and get some prayer. Declare a new season of what surrender looks like in your life.
Whatever you want to do, business with the Lord, we'll open up space up here. But let me just pray and, uh, and we'll end and we'll get in some worship. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that Jesus knew who he was. He knew that he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He knew that all authority in heaven and on earth was rightly under him. And God, I thank you that he sits enthroned even now in the same place of confidence where he says, follow me unequivocally because he knows that the me in that statement is so worthy. Worthy is the lamb to be followed. Worthy is the lamb to surrender our whole lives. Worthy is, to, is, is the lamb to, like Suki was saying, trust with that next measure. Whatever that next measure is right now for people, God, by the power of your spirit, I ask that you would come and you would move in this place and allow us to put more of that percentage under your command, under your fold, under trusting of who you are and what you will do with our lives as we give them to you. God, thank you that you're the one that takes broken lives and you make them new. In every sense of that statement, God, you're the one that takes broken lives and that makes them new. And so we love you and trust you and we give you glory in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we worship.